Well, it is good to be with you all tonight. Uh, let's go ahead and turn to the book of Joel. One thing about uh, preaching through a whole book in such a uh, short period of time, it, um, it takes us out of our element. Um, many times, like times when I've read through the Bible, and you look at those, uh, and you just kind of read through it, and you say, okay, I checked that off, I checked that off, I checked that off. And I think sometimes um, in the past when I've read through the Bible like that, uh, I've missed on what the Word is actually saying. I've, I've kind of focused on checking off my boxes and not necessarily uh, understanding what the Word is. And so um, being able to dive into Joe and being able to look at that, being able to uh, discern that is, has been good for me. Uh, as it always is when I slow down and I listen and uh, I understand what the, what the Word says. Well, you know, it's the good news according to, uh, to Joe. And as we start that tonight, I listened to Andrew's message last week. I appreciate him uh, filling in for me and then swapping with me. I do have a contention with something he said uh, just because there's a Christmas scene in Die Hard that does not make it a Christmas movie. So, but he's not here right now. We'll discuss that later. But um, that's, that's something we'll discuss. So, um, when was the book of Joel written? We're not sure. Um, he doesn't really allude to anything, any kings, any um, time frames. Um, so, we, we basically set it in the contextual part of what it's before and after. So, the best guess we have is around 835 BC. Uh, Joel's name, who means the Lord is God. Uh, the son of Pethuel, but little else is said about Joe, and nothing else is said about his father. And so the setting here is uh, in the city of Judah, uh, in the province of Judah. So as we walk through this book, the main theme is going to be the day of the Lord. Now we hear this term, we, we think about it more than just end times. Uh, the day of the Lord really comes down to speaking about when God's judgment comes against a people. And so be aware of the day of the Lord. So um, in this setting, we're going to see that uh, it's used five times. We'll look at each one of those. It's used 19 times in eight different Old Testament books. But in the Old Testament, this is the first use of the day of the Lord. Now, um, three things that kind of run through this book that we'll see tonight. Uh, the first is the judgment of God's, on God's people and their call to repentance. The second thing would be the judgment of others that are not God's people. And the third is the restoration of God's people. Now, as we start in verse 1 through 3, let's go ahead and look at that. I want to read those, and it says, The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it, and let your sons tell their sons. In our lifetime, can we, can we pick out some that maybe stand out to us that we tell our kids about, and they'll tell their kids about, and, and then they'll tell their children about? You see, here we are. There's such a, an event that has taken place that he says, tell your sons and have them tell their sons and then them sons and next generation. As I look through our history, we can look at maybe World War II and um, Pearl Harbor, uh, dropping the atom bomb, um, maybe even 9-11 here in America. We think of those things, and we think they are life-changing, and they are. They are life-changing. 
because they affect the way that we live. They affect the ability for us to keep on living the way we've always done it. And I think there are times that we as, as Christians may think that we are being blessed by God because everything is going well with us. And sometimes we forget God. And I think the people sometimes, um, as Joe begins to address this, there's a devastation upon which they have never seen. You know, I, I take back to 9-11. I remember the Sunday after 9-11, the churches were full. The church that I was attending, we had doubled in size that day. Because people were coming. They wanted to know, what does God have to say about this? And then after the sermon, the people left. And then next week, the numbers were about the same. But why was that? Because we didn't get attacked again. And we put our trust in our military that they would take care of us. You see, man, us as men, us as, as individuals, sometimes we put our trust in things other than trusting God. And I think Joe is warning us, reminding us that without trusting in God, we are trusting in the wrong things. And so as we look through these uh, verses, we go to verse 4 of chapter 1. It says, when the gnarling locust has left, the swarming locust has, eating, has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Total destruction. Here it is that everything that's green, everything that supplies them, everything that is substance to them has been destroyed. So these locusts are at four different stages of their life. And so over a period of time, what one eats, the swarm comes and it eats, and the next one comes and it eats, and the next one comes and it eats, and the next one comes and it eats, and now there's total destruction. There's nothing left. And so Joel points out to this, this is something of which you have never seen. You've never seen before. You will probably never see again. And so he tells them, he says, so in verse 5 he goes and he says, Awake, O drunkards, because your vine has been destroyed. He says, you've been cut off from the sweet wine. He goes, a nation has invaded you. And I don't know if you've ever seen a swarm of locusts coming or any swarm or something coming. It's like a dark cloud. It's like an invasion. It's like an army that comes out of nowhere. And the sound of it and the wings that are flapping and the ones that are flying and, and the noises it makes, it's like a, a crunching. It's like a, a, a stomping, a, a progression. And so here they come and they destroy everything that's there. And all of a sudden, everything that people relied on is gone. For the drunkard, the wine is gone. He goes on and he talks about later on in this chapter to the priest. He says, you have no bread. You have nothing to offer in the temple. You have no wine to drink. You have no, no bread to, to serve. You have nothing. And so everything they've depended on is now gone. And so what becomes of that? So what is the, what is the result of that? And so we look at verse chapter 1. If you look at verse 13... He says, gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priest. Now, who does he start with? He starts with the priests. He starts with the leaders. Because the land is desolate. The leaders are the ones that are supposed to encourage the people, that are supposed to give an example of the people. They're the ones that are supposed to be the ones that guide us into repentance, to guide us into the ways of Christ, into the ways of, of God. And so he says, gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priest, 
Well, O ministers of the altar, come spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. In other words, the priests cannot perform their duties. Verse 14, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. And here in verse 15, we see, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. One thing we need to, to understand is when these judgments come and these um, afflictions come and when these retributions come, they come from God. Many times we try to attribute things to the devil or to uh, some other source, but in this case, it says the Almighty has sent them. The Almighty has sent the locusts. The Almighty has created this situation. The Almighty has done this. And what is he looking for? He is asking his people to remember him, to repent of their ways. Now, the individual sins are not mentioned here in this part of Joe, but we understand that all that they had has been cut off. And so he goes on, he says, as destruction has come from the Almighty, in verse 16, he says, for the food has been cut off before our eyes, gladness and joy from the house of our God. It's interesting, gladness and joy has been cut off. But why? Has the Lord changed? What was the gladness and joy about? See, many times the gladness and joy is about our situations, about our provisions, and not about the Lord. And I'll be honest, I've been under conviction, this is for me, about my, my relationship with the Lord. Is my relationship built around His holiness, His glory, or is it built around the things He provides for me, the graces that I live in, the grace of, of health, the grace of financial stability, the grace of a good church, the grace of godly pastors? Do I rely on all those graces, or is my relationship built around the relationship with God? And so here, in this book of Joel, all has been destroyed. All is gone. And so he tells them that they must repent. He tells them how to do that. He tells them to, that everything has been caught off. Your gladness and joy is gone. He says, the seeds are shriveled under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. There's no pasture for the no pasture for the sheep. There's, there's nothing for the animals. So in verse 19 of chapter 1, it says, To you, O Lord, I cry. And this is Joe speaking. The fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you. For the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. So we see through this judgment, through this devastation, that... The people of God are to, to wail, they're to, to, to repent, they're to clothe themselves in sackcloth, they're to give themselves of the Lord, to the Lord, they're to repent. But many times we, we look for other ways, we look for other answers. In Israel, throughout their history, we know Israel has, has always turned to other gods. They have always abandoned God. Uh, at some point, they come back and they abandon him. And, and this is a storied history of Israel. But we will see at the end of this that the day of the Lord where Israel is restored. 
And just like we can be restored unto God, and, and the things that, that life has eaten away from us, the things that sin has eaten away from us, we can't get back the days that we've lost, but what we can gain back is the things that have been taken that God will restore those to us. He will restore our faith. He will restore his goodness. He will restore his blessings. He will restore his graces if we will repent and return to him. So we look in chapter 2. It says the terrible visitation is kind of what mine says, but it, in verse two, verse one, chapter two, verse one, it says, "Blow a trumpet in Zion now, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. There's our second day of the Lord is coming. Surely, it is near. Now, when you blow a trumpet, you're alerting people to to something, right? You're either alerting them to, hey, comes." Or you're maybe alerting them to trouble is on the way. When I was in Africa, they, uh, they would uh, blow trumpets and they would beat drums and they would do it for hours. And all that did was tell the people that, hey, the, uh, the Mazungas are here and they're going to come preach to us later. And so because they heard the, the noise, they knew what that meant and they would come by the thousands to, to the location where the drums were beating. So here in the same way, it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion in the holy place. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. And he gets very descriptive here in chapter 2. He gets very descriptive as to what this is. As you look at it, it's a warning. It's a call to the people that they're under judgment. He says it's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a fire consumes before them, and before them the flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them. Nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like, and this is, he's talking about these armies that are coming. The appearance is like the appearance of horses, like war horses. So they run with a noise as of chariots, and they leap on the top of the mountains, like a crackling of a flame and a fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle. What are some noises that affect us? I know people who are, uh, you ever been in a thunderstorm and lightning cracks right on top of you and then the thunder roars afterwards? How does that, how does that make you feel? It makes, ooh, you know, you get, all, you get all jittery. You think, oh, that was close. And then you walk outside, is my house on fire, all those type things. Because there are certain noises, there are certain things that make you tremble. There are certain information that make you gasp. There are certain things that, that you do not want to face. And it says, before the people, they're in anguish. All their faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the walls. He's talking about this invasion. They don't break ranks. They rush into the city. They climb into the houses. Devastation is coming. The Lord utters his voice in verse 11 before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord, here in verse 11, is indeed great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Anytime the day of the Lord is mentioned, it is in awesomeness, it is in judgment, and it is, is who can endure it? Well, of ourselves, we can't. There's nothing we can do. And so as, as we say, this is, hey, Doug, is this the good news of Joel? Well, of course it is. It's the good news before the great news. 
The good news is God is faithful. The good news is God is just. The good news is God will do battle for us. But he will do battle for us who are in his will, who are in his kingdom, who are part of the redeemed. Many people want the Lord to do battle for them who are not his. We live in a world today where people ask the Lord to, to bless them. You remember after 9-11, um, you go to a ball game, and they began to sing a song. And it wasn't the seventh any stretch anymore. What was it? It's God bless America. Everybody stand and sing, and they would sing, God bless America. Why would we do that? Because we want the goodness of God without actually knowing God, without actually loving God, without actually worshiping God. We still want to worship ourselves, but we want God to bless us with all the things that we have now, but we really don't want to worship him. We don't want to honor him. We don't want to glory in him. And so here, much like this, are these enemies of God and and the people of God. So he gives them away. He says, repent. Know. Know me. So he goes on in verse 16 of chapter 2. He says, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priest, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare your people, O God, and do not make your inheritance a reproach. A byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, Where is their God? So he says to them, he says, uh, he says We've blown a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Turn your eyes away from yourselves and look to the heavens from where your salvation comes. It is the holy of holies, the God of creation. So they pray. They ask God that that your inheritance not be a reproach, that, that your people not be a reproach to you, so that the others would say, where is your God? And as in verse 17 of chapter 2, and after this point, up to this point, we see where, where God has called the people, he's called them into their, to repentance for their sins. They have rebelled against God. It doesn't tell us what that rebellion is, but he destroyed everything that they held fast. He took away everything that they re- that replaced him. And so, if, if, if one of the things I, uh, I was thinking about is, what if God took away everything that I put in my life replaces him? What if everything that I worship besides him was taken away? Would I still worship him? Would I still trust him? And so I'm not asking God to do that, obviously. But what if he did that? Would I still be faithful? And so we look at Israel and we look at Judah here. And there's a gap kind of between 17 and 18 that kind of leads us in chapter 2 to believe that repentance has taken place. And I look at that um, in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land, and he will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I'm going to send you grain, new wine and oil, 
and you will be satisfied and full with them. Now remember what happened when, they, when the locusts came. Everything he is going to replenish them with was destroyed. Everything was taken away. But it appears that Judah has repented. And so now the Lord is about restoration. He can't give back the days or the hours they had, but he is going to restore the things that they had. And he goes on, he says, you'll be satisfied in full with them. And I will never again make your reproach among the nations. Now this is written in about, we're guessing 835 B.C., okay? So we know because Isaiah was written after this and some of the others were written after this, we know that this is talking about a future time. It's not talking about today because he says that you will never make a reproach among the nations, but I will remove the northern army far from you and I will drive it into the parched and desolate lands, verse 20, and its vanguard into the eastern sea, its rear guard to the western sea, and there'll be a stench about it. So he, he says, I'm going to make sure that you never again will be a reproach among the nations. So now we're talking about the last days. We're talking about the end times. When the city of Jerusalem, when, the, when Israel will be, will be the, crowning, the crowning place where the Lord sets up his kingdom. And in that day, they will never again be a reproach. And we will see that farther in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3. So he says in verse 21, it says, Do not fear, old land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear the beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned to green. So he's encouraging all that was taken away and has now been restored. In verse 25, he says, And I will make up to you for the years the swarming locusts had eaten, the creeping locusts, the stripping locusts, and gnawing locusts, my great army which I sent among you. It's interesting that God sent that among them. Again, he reaffirms that. God sent it among them. We as Christians do not need to fear the judgment of God from a standpoint of eternity, salvation, and things of that nature. Um, but we need to recognize God's judgment upon the sins of our nations, of our lives. You're not going to lose your salvation. Those who are redeemed are redeemed. We are called, we are, we are His but many times we become fearful. We become fearful of death. We become fearful of sickness. We become fearful of other things because my faith is weak at times. We need to rest in the Lord. We need to allow the Lord to be God. Not, not try to fix things all the time. I think one of my biggest things is I try, I try to fix things. Well, tell me what your problem is. I'll, I'll fix it. What's your problem yet? Okay, and, and I'll try to fix it for you. All right? That never works. They walk away like, well, that was, that was a waste of my time. And I walk away like, I fixed that for them. No, you didn't fix anything. You gave them false hope. You told them something that may or may not happen, and if it does happen, it's nothing you did. Trust in the Lord. Trust in God. So here... He is talking about that he has restored everything. He's restored the first rains, the latter rains. And as we get into the end of chapter 2, some very well-known verses. It says, verse 27, Thus you will know that I am 
in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. What a promise. What a promise by a holy God to his people that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. We can stand firm in a holy God. I am so grateful for that. In verse 28 and 29, it parallels uh, the verses that Pastor read as our call to worship, that it will come about after this. And, and this is after Peter began, when he began speaking, he goes, you guys think we're all drunk. You think we got problems here in Acts. He says, but the real, the real thing about it is, is that it was prophesied by, by Joel. And he says, I will... It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so Pentecost was the beginning of that, uh, that time. It was a foreshadowing of the very last days when the day of the Lord comes. And in verse 30, it says, I will display wonders in the sky. And this is we're going to see the day of the Lord once more. And on the earth... Blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He is going to reveal to everyone when he is coming back. He's going to reveal it in the heavens. They're going to know the signs. They're going to say the glorious, great day of the Lord is coming back. We don't know the time. We don't know the day. We don't know any of that. But there are signs in the heavens that God is saying is, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and the columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on the Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Whom the Lord calls. As he calls us, as he draws us, these are our promises. So as we close tonight, we go to chapter 3. And it talks about the great judgment of the unbelievers. The great judgment of all the other kingdoms. Um, he talked about it last week in Amos uh, about the surrounding, the surrounding countries of Jerusalem. Well, they're all going to come to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, uh, which means Yahweh judges or the judgment of Yahweh. And so they're all going to be drawn there. And I love this part in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. It says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land, and they have cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do recompense me swiftly and speedily, I will return your recompense on your head. This is God talking to the nations. This is the judgment that's coming. This is the judgment that's coming to those who disobey God, to those who, who seek and serve another God. This judgment is coming. 
And he talks about how they have took his precious silver and gold out of the temples and they have sold it to other nations and they have used the things of God for their benefit, for their glory, and for their purposes. And in verse 8, God says, Also, I will sell your sons and, <clears throat> and your daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. You know, what God has said is what God will do. And what God has spoken, God is doing. And what Christ came to deliver us, the good news of Joel is, yes, there is judgment for sin, but there is repentance to the believers. There is judgment to those who assail us. There are judgments to those who assail his people. There are judgment against those in the last day who are against God. And that means they will be against us also. One thing for us to, to remember is that when we are persecuted, when we are come against and, and the enemy comes against us, it is God who will deliver us. It is God who will defend us. It is God who will be the one who will be our justifier. We do not need to revenge evil with evil. We do not re need to revenge those who persecute us. The scriptures are clear in the New Testament. Love your enemies, bless them, and do not curse. And so that is not our role because here we see in the last days, in the days of the millennium, that God will restore his nation. He will restore his people. And so in verse 9, he says, Proclaim among the nations, prepare a way, rouse your mighty men, let all your soldiers draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man, hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves here. Bring them down, O the Lord, all your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there, this is God, verse 12, for there I will sit and judge all the surrounding nations. He's going to judge the nations. Folks, we do not have to fear that judgment of what God will do to those who are unrepentant, to those who are not of him. But we need to rest and rejoice in the Lord. And I close with this. Verse 18 and in that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine, the hills will flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water. And a spring will go out from the house of the Lord and to water the valley of Shittim. Egypt will be a waste, and Edom will be desolate wilderness, because the violence done to the sons of Judah in whose land they have shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem for all generations and I will avenge their blood, which I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Take heart, rejoice that God is on the throne. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer, and he will bring about the things that he says. The day of the Lord is coming. Maybe in our lifetime, may not be in our lifetime, but the day of the Lord is coming when Jesus will make his final reign in the holy city of Zion in Israel. Let's pray together. 
Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for this time as as you give us to study your word. Lord, I am thankful that through my sins, you draw me to repentance. I am thankful that in my repentance, you grant forgiveness. And Lord, I am grateful that we have nothing to fear in this world. We have no flesh to fear. We have no sickness to fear. We have no evil to fear. But Lord, in you we rejoice and are thankful for your provision, for your salvation. Lord, I pray that you will go with us now as we leave, Lord, that you would give us grace uh, to minister to those around us. Lord, that we would be obedient to your word, obedient to your spirit. And Lord, we just thank you for this place. You are a great and holy God. In Jesus' name, amen.